Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Taylor in 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. You know, this month, my wife and I are celebrating our 12th wedding anniversary. So I was looking at some pictures uh, from our wedding from 12 years ago. And notice how good I look in that tuxedo from Leon Taylor. Not just me, but all my groomsmen as well. And so if you got a big formal event or a wedding this fall or maybe wedding next spring, think about our good friends over at Leon Taylor. Larry, Norm, Kim, and Judy would be happy to see you. I'm happy to make you look as good today as I did 12 years ago. Well, It'll almost look as good as me as 12 years ago. I'm just kidding. So we go by Leon Tailoring. They'll be happy to see you. 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. All right. Oh, so thank, thank you all for joining us today. We're officially back in session, and my caucus is ready to go to work for Hoosiers in the state of Indiana. We've already had the governor and the Senate uh, Republican caucus talk about their priorities, and we just wanted to reshare the Senate priorities for the Senate Democrat Caucus. This is a budget year, and our top goal is to invest in Hoosiers so that we have an economy, economy that works for everyone, not just businesses. We want to make sure families have the services and support they need to be successful, that we're investing in young people so that they stay in our state and thrive, and that everyone feels like they're welcome and that their rights will not be under constant threat in Indiana. I wholeheartedly believe that if we can focus this session on investing in Hoosiers and put a halt to all the divisive culture wars that we've had and we see churning right now in the Indiana General Assembly, we could do great works for Hoosiers this session. Now I'd like to pass it, uh, pass it pass it to one of my colleagues, Senator Melton, to discuss a few of our funding priorities. Senator Melton. Thank you, Senator Taylor. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Senator Taylor is right that we should be going into this budget year in the mindset to invest heavily in our residents. After seeing an endpoint of unexpected revenue over the course of the fiscal year, Indiana is in strong fiscal financial position. Our business community is thriving, and we continue to remain at a AAA bond rating. It's time to spread the wealth to residents and make bold investments that we know, that we all know, will provide support for families for years to come. We need to make investments that allow Hoosier families, new mothers, new couples, and college students and graduates to thrive in this state. My caucus, we are encouraged to hear of the governor's investment in his budget for K-12. But that must be every single caucus in this chamber as well as in the other chambers. Adequately funding K-12 and supporting teacher pay and staff pay raises must always be a number one goal of the legislature. Our caucus has always made that a top priority, especially when we know we have a shortage of teachers, counselors, nurses, and staff across the board. We will not thrive as a state until we address our teacher shortage. Yes, it is critical. And we must make sure we're investing adequately and equitably, and I echo that again, I say that again, equitably in K-12 this session, to support our schools and students and to retain and attract the educators we need. My caucus was also excited to hear the governor's mention of eliminating textbook fees as a session priority. That's a major accomplishment that we will accomplish this session. But I also want to make sure that we are aware that the Senate Democratic Caucus have carried this for a number of years. I believe this is Senator Gene Bro. State House Democrats have constantly fought for these type of issues. 
Our caucus will be offering legislation again this session to get this done to ensure parents are no longer struggling under the burden of their children's textbook fees. The governor also voiced his support for the automatic enrollment of students in the 21st Century Scholars Program. This is something that is going to help every single university. We know that the state of Indiana, many of our colleges and institutions have seen a decline in enrollment. So this program will help those families, it will help those children access higher ed education and help our institutions. Automatic enrollment in this program would mean putting more Indiana students on the path to higher educational attainment. This would expand opportunities to more students, bolster our workforce, attract higher paying uh, jobs, skilled jobs, and create an economy that works for our residents and keep them here instead of driving them to other states. Although this program was not included in the governor's budget, I will have a bill to do just that. And I'm urging our colleagues to support us as we try to get this accomplished this session. And I want to thank the Commission of Higher Ed for agreeing that this is a very important issue and opportunity for us to address. And I, I thank the Commissioner in that. This session, as I close, we have the ability to make bold investments and policy advancements to dramatically reshape and bolster our economy for residents. And I hope we don't let this opportunity pass us by. So again, I want to thank you all. And I pass this opportunity to my colleague, Senator Shelley Oda. Thank you, Senator Melton, and thank you, Senator Taylor. Each session marks a new opportunity to do good for Hoosier families, an opportunity to build an Indiana that rewards hard work, that embraces diversity and equity, and that is safe, competitive, and prosperous. Unfortunately, many of these opportunities have been squandered by the supermajority and we see Hoosiers and their families sidelined in favor of headlines. In 2023, Indiana State Democrats are laser focused on meeting the needs of Hoosiers and Hoosier families. This means throwing our weight behind common sense policies that help solve the problems Hoosiers have told us over and over again that they are facing. We've already heard a lot this session, and it just started, about finding solutions for our dwindling workforce, the ongoing brain drain, and our students' ailing tests and reading scores. There is a partial fix to all of these issues. Childcare. We are a state of childcare deserts. None of our 92 counties have sufficient toddler care. More than three quarters of counties have less than 25% of the capacity they need. And even when childcare is available, it is not in reach for many Hoosier families. Reports show that the average Hoosier family spends 12% of their income on childcare. And the standard for affordable childcare is about half that. 7%. With prices of mortgages, property taxes, rent, education, medicine, and even food rising, and a stagnant $7.25 minimum wage, how is an average family supposed to make ends meet? Data shows that high-quality early learning and childcare programs improve educational outcomes 
which is desperately needed in a state where 20% of our students are not reading at the recommended level by third grade. Childcare is a workforce issue as well, as an education, as well as an education issue. Indiana businesses cite lack of childcare as their biz biggest external workforce barrier. There are so many parents who need and want to work to support their families, to provide for their children, but can't because they're unable to find a trustworthy or affordable option to care for their child. Child care is a basic. Not only that, it's necessary for many Hoosiers. It's vital for our economy, to our students' educational experiences, and to hardworking citizens across this state. Another top issue for Demo Senate Democrats goes hand in hand with childcare and that is paid family leave. Paid family leave provides time for new parents to bond with their newborn and provides important health benefits. As a state with the third highest maternal mortality rate, we need to be trying anything and everything to deliver better outcomes for pregnant women and new mothers. Paid leave is shown to lead to better maternal health outcomes and reduced disparity between black and white Hoosier moms. Paid leave is also linked to a drop in postpartum depression rates, a decrease in infant hospital admissions, and better health outcomes for the children themselves. We've seen, disappointingly, little movement from them on anything like childcare expansion, paid family leave, or even pregnancy accommodations. Strong family protections and supports are needed now more than ever. This legislature just passed one of the most stringent and invasive abortion bans in the nation. Though it's still working its way through the courts, we need to be ready. We cannot leave women and families in the lurch after forcing them to have children that they may not be ready to have. That means bold investments in these common sense and popular policies. Indiana State Democrats will be fighting to lower health care costs this session as well. We have hope that the supermajority will be willing to collaborate with us to do better for Hoosiers and are optimistic that the governor has made it a priority as well. Our state has the seventh highest hospital costs, but some of the worst health outcomes and lowest average wages in the nation. As legislators, our number one priority should be ensuring our citizens' physical health, safety, and well-being. If we aren't delivering on that most fundamental duty, we need to seriously reconsider our policies and priorities. We've all read the studies. We know our ranking. Bottom 10 in funding, outcomes, and almost any category you can think of. Senate Republicans have indicated that they will be prioritizing affordable and accessible health care. While it seems a little late, we do welcome their help and the cause. Indeed, they rolled out bills earlier this morning that would aim to increase competition and transparency, lower prescription health drug costs, and expand mental health care networks, all issues that Democrats have championed for years. 
We're hoping that increased support from the governor and the supermajority result in real improvements for Hoosiers. And we hope that our colleagues give our health legislation due consideration. We'll be offering bills and budget amendments to fully fund the governor's public health commission's recommendations. Repay loans for healthcare professionals, institute Medicaid reimbursement for school psychologists, and expand access to contraception and more. Finally, Senate Democrats will be fighting to protect Hoosiers' freedom, or in some cases, restore freedoms that were taken. On the first day of session, our caucus wanted to take the opportunity to emphatically reaffirm our commitment to Hoosiers' independence, privacy, and choice. Hoosiers deserve autonomy over their own bodies. Hoosiers deserve privacy in their most intimate healthcare decisions. Hoosiers deserve to, deserve to choose who they love, who they marry, and who they start a family with. We'll be working to make sure that Hoosiers have that freedom to build the lives that they want to build without interference from their elected government officials. Today, I filed a bill that would restore abortion access up to 20 weeks. This allows this legislature the opportunity to course correct if the Supreme Court allows SB1 to stand. When we take away our citizens' autonomy and create ambiguity and fear among our health care providers, we drive them out of the state. We drive them to places like Illinois, where they know that the building blocks of their lives and or their professional practice are respected and highly valued. I'll pass it off to Senator Taylor for closing remarks. <clears throat> I want to conclude by echoing Senator Yoder's words and about the need not just to make bold investment in Hoosiers, but to fight for Hoosiers' freedoms. A part of creating a successful economy that works for every Hoosier is respecting the freedoms and rights of our citizens. People don't want to live in a state where they feel like their voices, the voices of residents are ignored, and where rights like women's rights to access reproductive health care are not safe. That's why we'll focus on restoring Roe, as Senator Yoder said, and on protecting same-sex marriage and interracial marriage. We all know that we have someone who is running who has already filed intent to run for governor, who believes that the states should have their own laws about interracial and same-sex marriage. On the national level, we see President Biden pass the Respect for Marriage Act into law, but in Indiana, a ban on same-sex marriage still exists. When we talked about the brain drain, or look at our shortage of teachers and staff and healthcare professionals, OBGYNs and care providers, our shortage of work, capital across the board, we could thank Indiana's policies, which go directly against what the people of Indiana want. And for that, recent polls from Ball State's annual Hoosier survey show that nearly 60% of Hoosiers believe abortion should be legal in all or most cases. Over 85% of the Hoosiers support marijuana legislation in some form. And 
of those believe it should be for personal use. Yet, despite all these views by Hoosiers, I'm concerned based off past trends that we will still go, we will still be going to fail to get these policies passed that Hoosiers want to see. Policies that support freedoms for residents and other residents in other states, including many, many of our neighboring states that have already enjoyed these privileges. Indiana will not move forward, even with all the business attraction that we want to do, will not attract new higher paying jobs. We will not retain young minds and keep workers in our state if this General Assembly keeps focusing its energy on cultural wars that threaten the citizens' rights instead of investing in things like K through 16 education. I challenge them to put that to a test. And how do we do it? Across the country, citizens got to have a say on issues like abortions being banned, marijuana being legalized, and our residents deserve the same rights as those residents in other states. All my bill would do would allow us is to create a democratic and inclusive process that allows people, our laws, that, that are impacted by our laws, to have a voice in what we are doing. I know they rolled out their agenda today, and their priorities were fiscal responsibility, improving mental health infrastructure, and lowering health care costs. They also discussed supporting law enforcement and protection, protecting Hoosier da data. That's okay, and it's a good start, and I think we should go there. But nowhere near close to what we should or could do for residents as we start this session with record reserves. We must prioritize Hoosiers and their families and the future of our students in the state and the freedoms that every person that lives here would like to come to Indiana and stay. We'll open it up to questions if you have any specific to a legislator or Senator just a policy. Anything that's kind of been the five years with the property tax relief this year because we saw the assessments last year. We're not quite sure what it's going to do for property tax decision. I find it uh, interesting about the uh, property tax discussion because we all know property taxes go to fund municipal governments, not state government. So if we're going to change the power policies on, or even lower property taxes, that means the state of Indiana should be willing to step in and fill in the gap. What I do find interesting, though, is that when I came in the legislature, when we were just determining whether or not we put the one, two, three property tax caps into the Constitution, is that their own Senator Holman today, when asked a question by one of your reporters, didn't answer the question that was asked, which is, would that mean reversing some of the property tax cap uh, legislation that's in the Constitution of the state of Indiana? I don't think they have the, uh, uh, let me say this, the fortitude to go back to Hoosiers and say, hey, now we want to take those caps away. So I'm just interested to see what their ideas are. And no, we do not want to effectively mess with the budgets of the municipal government by changing property taxes. If, if I can add to that, yes. I, I think uh, one of our caucus members may have some legislation. I think Senator J.D. Ford 
might be working on a bill. I don't want to speak on his behalf, but I think he has something for seniors specifically in that regard. Yeah. On, uh, on health care spending, um, the, the, the governor's, the Public Health Commission's proposal and the proposals we've seen so far from the administration and Senate Republicans would have it as an opt-in for local health departments, so, so they only get the money if they agree to provide the services, and there's a, a broad expectation that not everybody is going to opt in right away. So to that point, the governor is sort of proposing a step up in funding in this, in this budget and then even in the next budget, presumably, um, where they would eventually get to the full funding number. Is that the right way to go about it? Should we, should we do this gradually because we know not everybody's going to jump into both feet? Yeah, I, I, if I could start with that really quickly. Uh, we know with that report, we know that Dr. Box and Senator, former Senator Lou Kenley uh, pulled a statewide group together. Uh, we know how low, uh, uh, well, I'll say delayed our Medicaid reimbursement rate is uh, from the federal government. So I think we've all heard from our local um, health departments and the issues that they face. Now, this is their legislation, meaning that this is the Republican caucus legislation. So I don't want to speak on behalf of them and what they have or should have done. Uh, but I would say that we are the firm belief that we want it to be equitable across the board. Uh, we do know that there are about maybe three or four standalone county health departments that are not included in the overall makeup of those uh, more municipally county-owned. So I'm keeping a watchful eye to make sure that that's taken care of and they're not overlooked. Uh, and taking place. Uh, so with that being said, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to work with Senator Charbonneau, who I know is carrying that bill in the health committee, and I know is going to approach and come to uh, appropriations. So hopefully we'll be able to work to come to some understanding. What is your guys' take on the uh, potential amendment to the Constitution, which would uh, allow for judges to deny bail for uh, papers and What's your take? <laughs> I think I see you. Yeah, I think. <laughs> Uh, I, I've always been one of those people that believe that, uh, as an attorney, that believes that bail has become this way of taking care of the people who have a lot and actually penalize the people who have little. And that's not what our government's about. I was shocked to actually hear Senator Cook to actually push legislation that would require there no, be no bail set for people who are a threat to their community. Policy-wise, I agree with that. The question is, who's gonna make that decision? And as we've seen over the history of any type of public policy that has these types of uh, subjective criteria, people who look like me seem to be on the bottom end of the, uh, uh, of the, the scale. So I'm, I, I'm interested, I, I think, uh, serving on judiciary and our, uh, the Corrections and Criminal Code Committee, I, I think it'll come to those. I'm interested in the discussion about what he means by a danger to uh, society uh, and letting people out on bail. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting that we're focused on bail when it comes to crime, but we're not focusing on, uh, in my opinion, the public policy decisions like decriminalization of marijuana that would lower the incarceration rate for a lot of people who look like me, and we're still talking about bail. Um, some people go to go to uh, jail for the first time for possession of marijuana and end up in a lifetime of criminal activity. So uh, I find it ironic. Thank you. 
Pike Hannity. Question for Senator Yoder. On the, uh, this is kind of a two-part question. On the uh, child care uh, proposal you're putting forth, first of all, do you have a dollar amount for what you're kind of looking for there in the budget? And then second, do you see this basically calling out Republicans saying, hey, you guys said that you were going to uh, expand child care funding as part of this abortion thing now, put your money where your mouth is? Yes, put your money where your mouth is is a, a great way to respond. What I would like to see is child care and dependent care tax credits put the money back into the pockets of hardworking Hoosiers and let them have the relief. That's what I'm hoping to see. That's the legislation that I filed. And we got traction in, the, in, in previous sessions. I know that the chamber was supportive. I know my local chamber is absolutely supportive. So that would be the direction that would be an easy way to help give uh, some relief to families, uh, infl inflation relief to families across this Hoosier state, as well as a response to some of these childcare deserts that we're seeing across the state. How does that solve the problem, though, of, mm -hmm. I mean, you can give people money, or in this case, tax credits, to pay for childcare, but the, the system doesn't have the capacity for everybody who needs childcare. So how do you address that? It is a complicated issue, and I would hope that increased competition, uh, increased support for child care, if families can pay for it, then maybe there would be more, more people participating and in need of child care, and uh, increasing uh, the child care uh, in Indiana, have it be uh, competitively uh, addressed. We could try that. It's uh, this, legis this legislature has heard this before, and we haven't even tried that. Let's try something. Instead of just a task force, let's put a policy in place, and this would be one way that we could address it. Indiana has obviously done a state, but something that the Republicans can agree upon, especially with this health commission and everything like that. So, you know, you guys want a different amount of funding than the Republicans do, but the way that they're proposing the bill is to basically I think that's definitely one approach. Um, if, if I'm understanding your question, your question is... Re so basically, like, the way that I understood it is that they're going to have this money that they're going to give to local health departments that they can opt into or not opt into it, and then they'll give them suggestions about how to do it or they opt into it. Do you think it should be, they have the money, It's, it's hard to, to speak in hypotheticals because I haven't read anything, but we know that Indiana struggles when it comes to tobacco use. We know that our infant mortality rates and our infant mortality rates are inhumane. Uh, I, I believe uh, it was a Georgetown Institute that said Indiana could be in a human rights violation when you look at some of our outcomes when it comes to maternal and infant mortality rates. So giving the, the opportunity and the money and the uh, more local control to be able to say, here is funding, decide what you need. It's not going to be a cookie cutter response across the state of Indiana. 
And we look to our local health providers to know where are the gaps and how can the funding help you fill in those gaps. But until I see the actual legislation and I'm able to read it, it's difficult to respond. Can I dovetail off that? Just, I want to mention the whole cookie cutter approach, and I agree with that. What is good for rural Indiana may be different for urban Indiana. Um, I know in the northwest part of the state where I represent, we have a lot of industrial uh, manufacturing plants that have contributed to pollution. And you see a lot of individuals that suffer historically with asthma and a variety of other healthcare issues in, in that regard. So I agree with Senator Yoder that um, listening and making sure that those county officials and those locals have a say-so in that, in that process. Yeah, um, let me let, let me start by saying the governor mentioned it in his budget, but notice that my colleagues on the other side of the aisle didn't mention it in their budget, which gives me some cause for concern as to the price tag for that education funding, K through 12 educated funding. I'd like to give you guys a little bit of information about one of the largest school districts in the state of Indiana and what they've seen from a K through 12 education funding standpoint, and that is Indianapolis Public Schools, which educates almost 31,000 students in the state of Indiana. In 2010, their foundation, state support from the foundation was $7,367. Let me repeat that. $7,367 in 2010-11. Today, 10 to 12 years later, in the 2022-23 budget proposal, or budget that we just finished, it's 7,699. That's a 6% increase while we've seen over the la that same period of time, a 21% increase in K through 12 funding from the state. I want you to think about that from the perspective of one of the largest school districts in K through 12 educating one of the highest population. I think they might trail Allen County a little bit, but approximately 31,000 kids. While the budget has gone up 21%, and we talk about this reinvestment, and the other side of the aisle talks about, you can see where our priorities lie by where we spend our money, over 51% of our budget. But when you look at the details, you will see that their priorities have been, for example, 110 times increase in vouchers assistance, another 210% increase in charter school supported schools, while your traditional public schools continue to lag behind. Now that was, in my opinion, purposefully done. Over the 2010 to approximately 2017, you saw a decline in state tuition support from the General Assembly. And then, and only then, when you saw that decline get to its most minimal point, do you see an increase? And so when you ask me about going back to your question, $1.2 billion, I would love to see 
where the other side of the aisle would love would spend it. And I'm going to tell you that if we don't start looking at this closely, we're going to find ourselves further behind the eight ball than where we are today. The fact that if you look at our traditional public schools and you go to the dashboard that was just created, we have 30 percent of our kids and that are reading I mean, excuse me, 30 percent of our children who are reading proficiency and have the math skills in grade eight in the state of Indiana. That's over 90 percent of our kids. So, yes, we've spent money on K through 12 education. We just haven't spent it on the majority of kids that we are under constitutional obligation to support. Well, um, let me I want to close by saying this. When we find ourselves in a position like this as a legislature where we have resources. <clears throat> to me, the thing that speaks the loudest is not where we spend the money, but how we spend the money. And I, let me explain the difference between that, between those things. When it came to creating a AAA bond rating, okay, we spent all of our resources to make sure that we could pay our bills and we had a balanced budget. Well, we've achieved that goal which means that when we go borrow money, we're going to be able to borrow at the lowest, one of the lowest rates in the country, somewhere less of two and a half percent. Yet even the governor's proposal that I believe that the city majority, supermajority will support had an $800 million cash infusion into a correctional facility. I want you to think about $800 million and what that would do for K-12 funding. Why have the AAA rating where you can borrow at the best rates if you're not going to leverage that $800 million? In addition, the supermajority over the last years have decided that we're going to pay down our pension fund obligations faster than we have to. So we started out at 2060. We're down to 2030 that we'll pay off our pension obligations yet they're taking two and a half billion dollars cash, that's B, not M, and putting it in a bank account to pay down pension obligations that are not even due yet. And along with the fact that we've already got it to where if we just made our regular payments right now, it would be gone in 2029. So what we're gonna shift it now to 2028, while we're seeing Healthcare outcomes that are terrible, 47th in the nation, while our education attainment goals are in the gutter. So for us as Democrats, investing in Hoosiers is important. Not giving $25 million for businesses to create their own childcare facilities on their sites. That's the how. It's not just what, it's how you do it. And we have a different idea on how to do it. We want to put Hoosier taxpayers first and not businesses. And uh, I look forward to working along with side my colleagues and seeing if we can get something done for the great state of Indiana. Thank you all. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.